What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In Pennsylvania, killer fugitive Michael Burham is caught after nine days on the run. In Fargo, an officer is shot and killed while investigating a traffic accident. And in Long Island, New York, a serial killer is caught. And it may be the last person you would expect. These stories and more coming at you today, Wednesday, July 19th, on Real Life Real Crime Daily. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Hey, guys. What's up? Happy Hump Day. Happy Hump Day. It's a day of humping. Day of humping. <laughs> for, you some, for some of us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't Even see if that. you're humping yourself. I, I didn't see that on Jerry Ann's <laughs> schedule this morning before I left. I tried to pencil it in, well, but yeah. I, don't, I, don't, hey, Mike, I don't know that you, that's you, happening. You got to stay in touch with yourself, too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Nobody can fault right. you for that. <laughs> Let's get down to some true crime time, my people. Well, and on the top of the list, y'all, Rambo is in custody. Yeah. Oh, Rambo got him. That's right. We told you at the top of this show, escape Pennsylvania fugitive Michael Burham has been caught after nine days on the run. Police confirmed this during a Saturday evening press conference. He was apprehended after a tip came in around 4 p.m. reporting a suspicious person in what's known as Conwango Township, Pennsylvania. The tipster said that his dog was barking in the backyard, and when the homeowner went to see what was going on, he found Burham. The owner recognized Burham after the two had a brief conversation during which Burham claimed he was camping. Well, he was. He, he didn't lie. Uh, the man who approached Burham on his golf cart said he recognized Burham immediately, zipped off, got his wife, and called police. Right. Police created a perimeter around the area and took Burham into custody around 5.50 p.m. after a short pursuit. And then the presser police said they apprehended him with the use of canines and approached him from behind as he lay in a prone position in the woods. Burham did not have anything on him, but police have been searching the area where he was found to see if he stashed any guns or anything like that. Uh, They did find ammunition uh, in some of the bags that they found from when they were tracking him. So they they had a, you know, a deep concern that he was armed. Uh, Burham is currently in the Pennsylvania State Police custody and being processed. He will not return to the Warren County Jail where he escaped. Right. Thank, thankfully, and will instead be arraigned on charges related to his escape. Now, as we reported last week, police have been on Burham's trail. They found several bags of clothing, food, and supplies all scattered throughout those woods. That's kind of how they knew he was still in the area. 
Uh, police also said that a drone may have been flying over the prison on the night Burhan escaped. And this is kind of some new news. So this is what made them think someone was helping them. They actually see they they have evidence of a drone flying over the prison. Uh, and they're looking for the operator of that drone and wondering, obviously, if that could be an accomplice. I'm not a big believer in coincidences. This from Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens of the Pennsylvania State Police. So he has a strong suspicion that drone played some sort of part. It could be, could be. that there was a perfectly innocent and reasonable explanation, uh, could or be. it could be someone was somehow connected to his escape. Or it could be somebody out. was flying in dope and dropping it in the prison. Uh, could, have been, could have been that, too. What's that um, show on the mayor of Kingstown. You ever watch that? Yes. Yeah, I've seen it's a great show. show. Legit show. Yeah, anything they, that dude, do, anything that dude does is great. He's the same producer for Yellowstone and all that. Mm-hmm. You know that? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Taylor Sheridan. It's Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. But the, they sure use, it's not they Taylor Swift. They use drones in uh, one big scene. Is it the final episode where yeah, they? Well, you, they were flying in dope on drones. They were flat side. Yeah, they were flying in the dope. Uh, on the flying over, dropping it in the yard. Well, Burham's being held on a $1 million bail now for charges of kidnapping, burglary, et cetera. He's also the prime suspect in the May 11th murder of Kayla Hodgen, 34, as well as related arson, and is accused of abducting an elderly couple in Pennsylvania. And that's what he was in jail for right. when he escaped. Yeah. Uh, uh, a plethora of other things, too, that you covered in, yes. in the past. So. Yeah, he's not a good guy, and he's better off behind bars. Oh, for sure. Uh, he is. He is. He is a good guy. He's a good bad guy. He's a good Rambo. Well, the over I had an over I've been over under of at least two weeks on this guy, so I would have lost a lot of money there. Well, the the I mean, I'm glad they called him. Uh, Yeah, it's probably the last thing you're going to hear about it unless something else stupid Mm -hmm. and shocking comes out. So let's. That's right. And so, y'all, there's the story of the modern day Rambo. He can go fuck himself. Hopefully he gets the death penalty. So you ever been to Fargo? I have not been to Fargo. I've seen the movie. No, it's beautiful up there. When, like right now, it's in the 70s. Yeah. Here it's like 117 on my truck thermometer. But unfortunately, y'all, a Fargo police officer was killed in a Friday afternoon shooting that left two other officers in critical condition and one civilian injured. Police identified the deceased officer as Jake Wallen, who was 23 years old. Yeah. Sad and a horse go out to everybody knew and loved him and, and that, that family of blue. Um, I'm praying for all y'all. But officers Andrew Dodas and Tyler Halls both sustained gunshot wounds or are in critical but stable condition at a local hospital, and our prayers go out to them. The suspect identified in the release as Muhammad Barakat, 37 was shot by officer Zachary Robinson during the incident. He was transported to a hospital and later died of his injuries. The release said, let me tell y'all, I'm going to interrupt my own story real quick. Usually, and you need to hear it from me first. I probably shouldn't share it. So I'm going to share it. Usually when they say that they're shot, the bad guy is shot and they took him to the hospital and was pronounced dead later on. Yeah, he was dead on the scene, but boom, I'll digress. Anyway, it's a 25 year old woman was also shot during the incident and was transported to a local hospital with serious injuries. Prayers for her. Um, the shooting took place Friday near 9th Avenue South and 25th Street South in Fargo. 
There is no reason for the shooting, Police Chief Zabolski said at a news conference Saturday. I think down the road we will know the whys. Zabolski said the shooting took place as officers were investigating a routine traffic accident. No such thing as routine, y'all. I mean, um, he added, it does not appear the suspect was involved in the collision, but the investigation is ongoing. Our officers were out there performing their duties, investigating what we would say was a routine traffic accident. As they did that, for whatever reason, this individual began firing at them, striking three of them, and also fired shots at the firefighters who were also on the scene attending to the crash victims. The events of the last 24 hours have been among the most difficult in our department's nearly 150-year history. This was a heinous and unthinkable act of aggression against our officers in the entire metro community. Officer Robinson is on paid administrative leave pending an investigation into his use of force as a standard. Law enforcement officers performed a procession with their squad car lights on down Interstate 94 through Fargo on Friday evening. And y'all, Fargo is the biggest city in North uh, Dakota with a population around 125,900. Just, you ever come across anything like this one where there's, they're investigating one thing, there's there's a car accident. And so your focus is the victims, the accident, what happened, and all of a sudden, out of the blue... I was working a homicide. I don't know any homicide scene, but it was kind of well, the street was kind of blocked up off of whatever. Dude comes through, barreling through. The units get in pursuit of it with him, and they get in a shootout with him, and he had nothing to do, do with it? this scene. So crazy. Yeah, you know, the world is crazy. Hey, again, whew. People put on that badge every day, and they go out there, and they never know if they're coming home. It's right, it's just, and it's a twenty-three-year-old kid. That's probably kid. and the other ones are, yeah, are going to be affected for life. Yeah, and, and that's a place where this kind of stuff does not happen. No, man. Yeah, I mean, not in North Dakota. North Dakota is beautiful, and like I said, it's probably seventy degrees up there today, and you know. I'm not going to be up there in, in December, uh, but it's so rural. I mean, it just spread out, you know, some, some of the most beautiful country in, in the United States of America. Hearts go out to them. Horrible story. Um, yeah, I hope they are able to figure yeah, out know, what, what happened. What, what, yeah. And I know that was there's coming. good and bad in every profession, and I know the, the tendencies are now a day is to hate on the police, but – who, who are you going to call when you get scared, right? And then these guys get shot and die, unfortunately. Right. Sad. Thoughts and prayers to his family. It is. Well, this is a, a story. We're going to talk about the Long Island serial killer. And it's a story that for 13-plus years has uh, really enamored the, the country, especially people uh, in that region and on Long Island and – uh, really, this took place, guys, uh, has taken place over the years in the backyard of where uh, I grew up. I uh, uh, was at Gilgo Beach often. My uh, aunt and uncle lived at Oak Beach, which are two central locations within the story. And so it, it's all uh, uh, very, very real uh, for me. The conventional wisdom of this story is that 
it all began with the disappearance of a prostitute by the name of uh, Shannon Gilbert. And for years, and this is for years where tons of stuff has been written, uh, uh, movies, docuseries, specials, everything came at uh, the Long Island uh, serial killer story from the perspective of the Shannon Gilbert incident. And what we're finding out in uh, in the news here with this arrest over the past few days is that the uh, the connectivity between the suspected killer and uh, Shannon Gilbert is uh, tentative at uh, at best. And so what I want to try and do is in two parts give you sort of the the Shannon Gilbert and the conventional wisdom story right up to the point where uh, a suspect is captured and then come back in a second part and, uh, and so give you how many, how many victims do you think there are or how many victims have been identified minus Miss Gilbert 10 that that's linked to are. him though. No, 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 not linked to him. That's, right. and that's the, that's in the area of with the same MO. Well, not necessarily the same MO. Okay, the the four, what are known as the uh, the Gilgo four, were identical. Mo were in a uh, a very confined area, equidistant from each other, all wrapped in burlap. The mo is identical. All were prostitutes. All were doing business through uh, Craigslist or something similar. And so, the connectivity between those four is undeniable. Right. Uh, the evidence right now put them a police in a position where they've charged him with three of those murders. All right. So you're about to lay it out for us now. That's the second part. We'll get to the second part. The Shannon Gilbert story is the story that if people have been following this case, it's the it's the story y'all heard up until uh, this week when uh, this guy Huerman was uh, was arrested. So let's go back to May first of 2010 and an escort by the name of Shannon Gilbert ran from a home on Oak beach, Long Island. Oak beach is a tiny little beach. This is not a, a big town. This is uh, at that time, probably 50 homes or less. They are uh, their beach houses, summer houses, their retirement uh, homes, some people's permanent home, but, uh, uh, but this is not a, a big area. This is not a heavily, populated area. Ironically, it is a guy that was one year behind me in high school by the name of Joe Brewer, who arranged for this meetup with Shannon Gilbert so you at, this guy. at his house. At uh, So he was had a prostitute at his house? Yes. He was newly divorced. He uh, was getting into a lot of trouble, apparently. And, uh, Has and they ever hooked you up when you were nearly the no, 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 <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have anything to thank for anything like that or blame. Uh, and I guess as some of those things go, this hookup wasn't, uh, set up until two o'clock in the morning. So she arrived, yeah. she's from New Jersey. She came a long way. She came several hours out with a, uh, a driver who acted as her bodyguard slash driver and they go all the way out to Oak Beach, Long Island, very foreign territory for them to see this guy, Joe Brewer and, uh, and Brewer uh, has her in the, in his house with him for several hours. And, you know, the stories over time are, are all different, but 
she starts freaking out and uh, and screaming that someone is trying to kill her. She, this is on the 911 call. Yes. Right. This is Shannon. Well, she does it out loud as well as doing it on this 911 call. Right. The problem with her 911 call is she has no idea where she is. And right, so right. she's but telling she them she's at Jones Beach, but right. she's she's and actually a long way from Do you there. know what happened to the pimp or the driver? I know what he says happened. Right, right. Okay. So, uh, so the way that this goes is she starts acting all crazy, talking about uh, that somebody's trying to, to kill her. Brewer says, I got to get this chick out of here. She's nuts. It, it, again, when you say she says that, this is on a 911 call. Yes. So she calls 911 and then says all this. She not only calls 911, she is yelling it as she ends up running through Oak Beach and hits several people by banging on their front door and having them come to the door. And, and it's so, on the 911 call. Yes. Okay. A 31 minute 911 wow. call that, uh, that she that. makes as she's as she's running around. But so uh so Brewer, his story is she goes nuts. I don't know what drug she's on. She starts talking about people killing her. Uh, uh, I didn't even have sex with her. I never even paid her. I just went and yelled to this guy, Michael Pack, who was her driver, um, to get her the heck out of here. And by the time we tried to do that, she ran off. Okay. She ran off. She hits on uh, uh, this guy Coletti's uh, uh, door, a retiree, and he calls 911 himself which was key because that's the only way that they finally figure out where this is happening because mm-hmm. her 911 call is not helpful in terms of location. So, uh, but she continues running because Pack is driving the SUV through Oak Beach looking for her, trying to, trying to find her and get her back in the, in the car with him. His story is that he continues to do that for, he says, until the sun comes up, which is, uh, you know, about an hour or, or less. Um, and then he just finally says, I don't know where the hell she went. Maybe somebody else picked her up and he drives all the way back home. He never even sees police that day uh, or talks to anybody. Probably right? had a warrant. Um, uh, and police don't really question him, Brewer, uh, the guy Coletti or anybody else uh, for, uh, for quite a while after this. Um, and one of the big problems with the case is that uh, people believe that the Suffolk County uh, police are not taking it very seriously because it's a missing person and it's a missing prostitute right. and she's not even from the area. They don't really care all that much. Right. And so the, uh, the, the Shannon Gilbert story is really the, the taking off point for all of these others. And when uh, they begin finally in earnest, searching for uh, Gilbert, which is largely because of the aggressiveness of her mother and her family in wanting answers as to where uh, their daughter is, uh, you know, they begin searching first in a very confined area immediately around Oak Beach, but the next beach uh, uh, west toward New York City from Oak Beach is Gilgo Beach, uh, which is a big surfer spot there. There's not that many spots where you get a good break um, and so Gilgo is tons of surfers lined up there every morning. I posted a picture of my brother-in-law. He surfs there four or five days a week. It's, it is the surf spot. They are searching Gilgo area months later and, uh, a cadaver dog mm-hmm. signals that, uh, that 
he's onto something. And in two days, they discover four bodies, none of which are Gilberts in that area. Those bodies uh, belong to, uh, they're all prostitutes, and they became known as the Gilgo Four. Um, And uh, uh, it's Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa uh, Bartholomew, and uh, there's a really interesting story with Melissa Bartholomew and this guy they've arrested, Megan Waterman and Amber Lynn Costello. Uh, three of those four uh, are, uh, uh, are the women that Huerman's been charged with, uh, with murdering. But so he must, that that's, must have been part of the DNA they tied him with, right? Yes. So the, uh, but the assumption after finding those four and then over a series of uh, months, another six, mm-hmm. which included uh, half the remains of uh, two people when the other half have been found in other locations, not uh, necessarily near there, one on the mainland in Manorville, another one on Fire Island years earlier at 96. So all of this stuff predates Shannon Gilbert, but – but they're assuming, and in fact, they announce that this is all connected, that, uh, that they believe all 11 of uh, these murders, because they eventually find uh, Shannon Gilbert's uh, uh, body months after that, that they're all connected and they believe there's one serial killer, which is what you know, set up everything around this story that people have been glued to for, uh, for years now. And it's why every... Uh, one of these productions done on it starts with the uh, the Shannon Gilbert story because for most of that time period, people thought the Gilbert incident was connected to those. And when we come back and talk about this sort of as the investigation really heats up in the last two years and they identify this guy and then they arrest him, what the actual connectivity is. And I know we're going to come back and talk about that, but tell the listeners, if you would, because there's going to be some from Louisiana or or Texas that don't know the story. Tell, do you have the information on his arrest and what he's been charged with? Oh, yeah, but we're going to, we'll do that in the, it's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, but I mean, just. Murder. Yeah, right. Murder, Murder. yes. Of three, of three of the four, three of the Gilgo. cold cases and they tied him. Through his DNA, I think they they tied him to, so, to phone records. I mean, it's it's extensively phone, and then secondarily DNA. I get it, but the DNA, of course, is going to be a huge part. DNA uh, DNA, DNA is a doesn't huge lie. Right? We look forward to the second part of that, right, Mike, yeah, for sure. I, I th- big I know story. It's, it's a big national story, and I've been getting a lot of um, information on it sent to me by lifers and stuff mm-hmm. so i want y'all to know we're going to bring it to you in parts because it's a long but it's distinguished in the in the world of syracuse yeah what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In cold case. That's right. And we're going to bring you another large national story right now that is is a little bit, well, I don't know if it can get any stranger than it's that right story. It's right up there. But it's pretty strange. A missing Alabama woman. Oh, this is big. Who is found alive two days after she vanished while screaming down phone to family about approaching toddlers she found walking on the road. Uh, interstate. So, so interstate. we're going to get walking along the interstate. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into this and tell you kind of the start of this story and how it's, it's ended up at, at least at this point. Uh, a missing 25-year-old woman who vanished after she pulled over to check on a toddler who was wandering alone on an Alabama interstate highway has been found alive in her home. Carly Russell was on the phone with her sister-in-law when she got out of her car to check on a child. The family member said she then heard a sudden scream and shortly after lost all contact with Russell. When officers arrived at the location, they found Russell's car along with her cell phone, purse, Apple Watch, I think that's key, in the nearby area. As a matter of fact, it was in her vehicle. But Russell and the child she claimed to have spotted were nowhere to be seen. On Saturday night, Hoover, Alabama, uh, officials received a phone call that Russell had returned to her home after knocking on the door. She was dropped off at the location by an individual. After police and fire officials confirmed it was Russell, and evaluated her scene, her at the scene, she was taken to a local hospital. When Russell went missing, Hoover police said they had not received any calls of a missing child. One witness reported possibly seeing a gray vehicle and a man standing outside of a vehicle, but police said they had no additional information. And I'll tell you this, they released the traffic cam footage from the interstate. And if you go watch that traffic cam footage, you never see a child. Mm-hmm. You never see another vehicle pull up. Mm-hmm. It, it what it, it's, And it's very limited. It's dark. It's nighttime outside. But what you can see is her pull over to the side of the road. And then you see her go to the passenger side of the vehicle at one point. And then she disappears off into the woods. Uh, at no point do you see anybody, which is very strange. Now, uh, in the process of uh, in the process, at some point, she got out of the car, and my daughter-in-law could hear her asking a child if they were okay. This from her mother. The child did not respond, or at least she did not hear her respond on that telephone call. And then she heard her daughter, Carly, scream, and from there, all we heard was noise, background noise from her cell phone that's also coming from her mother. Russell left work around 8.20 p.m. on Thursday before stopping to pick up food for her and her mom. She then traveled towards Hoover and called 911 around 9.30 to report the missing child on the side of the interstate. After calling 911, Russell reportedly called her sister to tell her that she was going to check on the child. The family member lost contact with her around 936, but the line remained open. Responding officers located Russell's abandoned car along with her cell phone, purse, wig, and Apple Watch in the vehicle, but no sign of a child. Now, here's where it gets strange. 
She gets found alive Saturday night. She returned to that home, as I told you, in Hoover, Alabama, before 10.45 p.m. and appeared to be in shock. Police said she walked up, banged on the door, and, you know, the family opened the door, and there she was. She was transported to the hospital at that point, and Russell's boyfriend, Tomar Simmons, then posts an Instagram post saying, all I asked from Everyone right now is to be respectful of Carly's situation. She was literally fighting for her life for 48 hours. So until she's physically and mentally stable again, she's not able to give any updates or whereabouts on her kidnapper at this moment. I think there's a lot more to this case. It's very strange. Bullshit. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) It is so much Bullshit, and 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 it, I'm not I'm not going to take the rest of your story. Go ahead. It, well, it, yeah, there's a lot of things that too, make you want to scream bullshit on this. Too, too it, many cases I've worked, and and in where it is, they're they're all fucking somebody else, and they get caught or they get delayed or what have whatever happens, and they that have had almost not not saying a child was involved, but they you don't do that. And there's no evidence of a child. No child's been reported missing. It's on the interstate. Other people have seen the kid. And she leaves all her shit in the car, like you said, the Apple Watch and everything else. Why? Because they can't be traced. Yeah, that's what, for me, really made me question it was leaving your Apple Watch. I wanna, if you're getting kidnapped, number one, you're, you're keeping anything that can track you right. on you. And then secondly, even if someone notices that Apple Watch, they're not going to take it off and put it in your car. Right. They're going to rip it off right. and leave it on the side I, of the road. I would be curious to go out on a limb and say what, when she disappeared in the woods, in, on the other side of those woods, what's the nearest parking area? What's the nearest road where she could be picked up? Da, 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 da. There's a prearranged thing. She was picked up. She went and did her, her whatever. And where she, she pulled over – uh, you know, this was just me noticing watching the scene. It was right next to a giant sign. So it'd be a good landmark to say I'm going right. to be pulling exactly. over at the exit sign for XYZ exit. Right. And there is a road, a little median road, yeah. right through just a small patch of woods. Right. You and you go. do see lights and I light up at that. in a car drive off. There you go. I hadn't even looked at that. There you go. Shortly after. So I'm... I'm you know, uh, we're going to keep you posted. Just very strange. It's an to me, elaborate this whole situation to yeah, just get you know laid. What? I mean, well, no, but I mean, people do what they do, and, and it is what it is. I, I, I guess I got so many stories like that. That uh, that's going to be really because I really, really like her parents. You know, her parents came out and yeah, and they posted some video, hey, and they were very you convincing, very too. sincere people, yep. and showed a lot hey, of that love mean, for the daughter. That mean that shit birds just. Uh, well, and it became a, a you know a national story that I don't think if someone were to do this, I don't think they you know in a in a scam type way, I don't think they would realize the magnitude of the effect that would have, yeah, which would freak them out. Right. Uh, which is why maybe she ended up showing up two days later. And look, we're not throwing shade that until she comes out and we get more information, nobody knows for sure. It, it, all we know is it's a very weird situation, uh, strange right now, and it has a lot of things that uh, what, what, Lucy's husband would say there's some splaining to what, do. What's her name? Mel- Melissa? 
No, Carly. 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 Carly Russell. I, yeah, not throwing shade, but Carly better be damn glad I'm not working that case. <laughs> well, and and it, it seems like uh, I, you don't know how uh, integrated the police are into everything, but they're buying the time right now mm-hmm. to try yeah. and put together some they, kind of they, rational they, explanation. They're not buying it. They're they're. They're working it because that's how she reported, right? And once they can't prove it or disprove it, that you know, they're also if she's doing something nefarious, they're giving her a rope to hang herself. Yeah, I don't mean the police are doing that. Right. I mean she's doing that yeah, with she's she didn't her boyfriend about, and her family and she trying didn't think to, about uh, uh, you. If she had just said, you know what, I got abducted outside interstate, but you involve a little baby. That supposedly walking down the interstate and shit like that, yeah, it's crazy. This story is not over with. So, but Mike, you ever did dress up in drag, <laughs> Jim? Yeah, Never. I, I have actually. Yeah, I figured that the, uh, costume. Uh, that was a costume. Well, for a costume. How event. about Robin Banks? No, I haven't done any of that. Never done that. Oh, nothing I'm going to admit. <laughs> I told you my, my FBI agent, uh, uh, buddy Jeff Methan, said if there was one crime I was going to do to get away with, it'd be a, I, I'd commit one bank robbery. So let me tell you all a story. A man dressed as a woman walked into three Texas banks this month and handed Teller sticky notes with threatening messages demanding cash, earning him the nickname the Sticky Note. Bandit, now, right? if you're yeah. if you're a bank robber, yeah. that piss you off. Yeah, that's, that not kinda, label. that's not a, exactly right. a intimidating yeah. fear. I'm a sticky, sticky note, note bandit band. girl. The man who hasn't been arrested or publicly identified left two of the Houston area banks with undisclosed sums of money. Right, the man allegedly entered Hancock Whitney Bank and shout out, shout out to their best banker in the world, Lloyd Johnson. Um, so he entered the Hancock Whitney Bank in Houston on July 5th, dressed as a female, approached the teller, and handed them a threatening note written on a sticky note, which demanded cash. He left that branch with an undisclosed amount of cash. No one was physically hurt during the robbery. The suspect, who's described as five foot eight inch black man with a thin to medium build, allegedly used a similar method at two Wells Fargo branches in Houston on July the 11th and 13th. During the last two robbers, he wore a black wig, black sunglasses, a blue medical mask, a green woman-style sweater, black women's ballet flats, and carried a black purse. This is according to an FBI statement. He then handed the tellers threatening notes demanding cash. During the July 11th robbery, the teller walked away from the counter and locked themselves in the back room for safety. The suspect remained in the bank lobby for a short time, then fled the scene on foot without any money. Mm. Now, you had one job, right? One job. Get some money. If you're going to rob a bank, they handed you a little sticky note, and she's like, mm, I'm going to get you money for you. And she locks his shit and locks him. In the, in the, I mean, that's pretty funny. That's what? not as funny as that dude that tried to rob the Asian place the other day. You know, remember that? That video yeah. oh, that yeah. Mike did the story on, and, and everybody just fucking ignored him. Uh, but this is pretty funny too. Yeah, and you know that. And here's the the, the problem. Here is he's got now an addiction to bank robbery because he's done three of these, 
And the more you do, the more likely you're going to get caught. And yeah. he probably could have done one and never robbed another bank and never would have been caught. The, the only thing I, I don't agree with my FBI buddy on is robbing a bank because it's not worth You know why? Do you know what the average bank robbery nets? What? I know you're going to give a number much lower they than don't I would go to the thought. So. $3,500 on the national Are you average. kidding me? $3,500. Now, in Livingston Parish, way back in the day, and I did a, a podcast on mm-hmm. it when the bank in Albany, Louisiana, got mm-hmm. hit. And this is a small, it was a really small town back then. They got several hundred thousands of dollars, the three of them that robbed the bank. But that happened to be on a day that uh, it was a payday for the largest largest corporation out mm. there at that time. They didn't use sticky notes for no, that one. They no. didn't use sticky notes. No. They the one I, I uh, actually a lifer was one of the ones that worked there and she still has trauma to this day from it. Wow. So. All right. Well let's pick up the Long Island uh, serial killer story and let's pick it up uh at the point that this officer John Malia is uh uh is uh responding uh to his uh his canine blue who has identified something on the, uh, just off the side of the road. I mean, 30 feet off yeah, of the side. They of, call it uh, indi- indicated. Blue, blue indicated. That's right. Thank you. Blue. So, uh, and he's assuming by the way, that this is the body of Shannon Gilbert, right? Which is what the body he's been looking for, uh, for months. So, the body was later identified as 24-year-old Melissa Bartholomew, a sex worker who was last seen more than 18 months earlier in New York City. Over the next two days, the remains of three other women, Megan Waterman, Amber Costello, they're all in their 20s, by the way, Waterman's 22, Costello's 27, and Maureen Brainerd Barnes, 25, were quickly discovered buried about one-tenth of a mile apart from each other on the beach. Like I said, these were all symmetrical. They became known as the Gilgo Four. One uh, really important thing that uh, that I want to mention is Bartholomew, Melissa Bartholomew, uh, she went missing on July 12, 2009, right? So she'd been living in the Bronx, working as an escort, using Craigslist, but starting one week after this and lasting for five weeks after she went missing, her teenage sister, Amanda, received a series of vulgar, mocking, and insulting calls from a man who may have been the killer using Melissa's cell phone. And that becomes key evidence as uh, an arrest is made. So we'll, we're going to go we're going to go back to that. OK, additional victims are uh, are recovered through. Uh, through March and April. We're now into 2011. So four more sets of remains are discovered between March 29th and April 4th. All the remains were found in another area off the parkway near Oak Beach and Gilgo within two miles of the first batch of uh, uh, bodies found in December of 2010. So we, we've got a 15-month period here where uh, these bodies are being discovered. The newly discovered victims were Jessica Taylor, Valerie Mack, an unidentified woman that they referred to as Jane Doe number three or Peaches, and an unidentified toddler who they were able uh, through DNA to identify as the daughter of Peaches. Really? Yes. Uh, two further sets of remains were discovered on April 11th. They were found about a mile apart, approximately five miles from those that were found in December. 
One set of remains belonged to a victim now thought to be a transgender woman designated Asian male by police at the time. Uh, the other remains were those of Jane Doe number seven, whose partial remains had been discovered on Fire Island in 1996. So you're going way back. On November 29th, 2011 is a key date. Police announced that they believed one person was responsible for all 10 of those murders. And people also took that to mean Shannon Gilbert, who is as was not found at that point, uh, was likely an 11th and and part of that. Right. So the the single killer theory sort of uh, sort of came from, you know, common char- characteristics. They said uh uh, they said common MO, but it really wasn't so much a common MO as common characteristics, uh, the uh, prostitution being the, the big one. Gilbert's body wasn't discovered until December of 2011. So remember, she goes missing May 1st of 2010. So you've got a year and a half before uh, she gets discovered, and she gets discovered really right near where she was. I mean, it knowing the area and her running around Oak beach and yelling, someone's trying to kill me. If she, if she wanders into the wrong spot off that beach, she can very quickly run into cattails and other uh, floor that looks like it's land. And all of a sudden you're in, uh, you're in brush and you're in water. And uh, if you're already that messed up, who knows what the heck happens. Right. So, um, so the probe, uh, uh, you know, starts to grow. So they, they have all these bodies now and investigators spend really the next couple of years uh, finger pointing, flip flopping. I mean, the investigation is a mess and it's uh, called an investigation for a reason. It's like when I go fishing, they don't call it catching and call it fishing hmm. as we worked. Well, frustrated FBI sources claim that the Suffolk that's the county where uh, Oak Beach is. Brass were unwilling to let the feds help um, in an investigation they were stalled in. In 2015, so, I mean, this thing is lingering for years, right? The local agency did an about turn and asked the feds to take on a prime role in the, pro- in the probe. Still, it wasn't until 2020 when Suffolk Commissioner Geraldine Hart announced efforts to advance the case including the launch of uh, a website called Gilgo News, where people could leave anonymous tips. Investigators also released a string of photos of evidence that they had recovered, including a leather belt with the initials either HM or WH, because you could uh, invert it. Uh, We do believe that the belt was handled by the suspect and did not belong to any of the victims, Hart said at the time. The uh, uh, last year... So now we're all the way to 2021, excuse me, 2022, uh, newly appointed commissioner Rodney Harrison. And this is a guy you've probably seen if you've been following the story on the news. He's done a bunch of interviews, formed an interagency task force with investigators from the FBI, as well as state and local departments aimed at solving the case. Six weeks after the formation of this task force, March of 2022, the name Rex Hewerman was first mentioned as a suspect. A New York State investigator was able to identify him in a database. Investigators had gone backward through phone re- records collected from both Midtown Manhattan and Massapequa Park. It's a, a town in Long Island across the bay from where Gilgo Beach is. So they've gone back and they've and they've through these calls that were made to the sister, 
um, and the uh, original hookup calls. Uh, they're they're able to uh, to identify that this is a person who is uh, in the Midtown uh, Manhattan area and also in the Massapequa Park area, Massapequa area, and their uh, the burner phone uh, that the alleged killer had was detected in both of those areas, right? So they, the authorities narrowed the uh, records collected by cell phones first to thousands of people, then down to hundreds, and finally they get it down to just a handful of people. And from there, they work to focus on people who lived in the area of that cell tower. So who lives in the area of Massapequa and who might work or also often be in the Midtown area of Manhattan, that fits the physical description. So one of the uh, one of the four, uh, uh, the Gilgo Four, when they were picked up, as the gal lived in in West Babylon, um, uh, somebody saw the guy who picked her up, and they were able to offer a description of him. They described him as an ogre. 6'4", 6'5", 230, 250 pounds, right. and also uh, uh, was driving a pretty unique vehicle, a first-generation Chevy Avalanche, which was that weird sort of pickup truckish thing that they had. Oh, those are nice trucks. <laughs> avalanche, shit. Well, I'm not talking down your uh, avalanche. Now, I'll say book. this, though, that you're right, a unique vehicle yeah, and so a unique right individual. There's yeah. not a whole lot of 6'5", Right. 230 to 250 but, and, people and walking around. Especially when you go back in the database and run all the avalanches that are registered in the to whole To six foot five people. Right. Which That's is, what I would have done. And then yeah. six foot five, then, then we're coming for you. Which is huge. And, you know, the when you look at that guy, I I can't think of a better description than Ogre. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how he was. Hey, don't get stressed about lookism. <laughs> I can do lookism on a serial killer. You don't think Shrek's um, cute? No, I'm sorry. Uh, they, they made Shrek cute. Um, investigators found that, you know, Hewerman matched the physical description, lived close to the Long Island cell site, Massapequa Park, and that he worked in Midtown Manhattan around Fifth Avenue. And so they begin watching him. So uh, they spent 18 months building this case against him. So, you know, what to a public that has anticipated something in this case for 13 years, an arrest happens and everybody assumes something, you know, dramatic has happened. 18 months of watching this guy built to that moment. I I don't fault them for that because it's, you know, obviously a a potential serial killer and you're not just watching him what you're watching for public safety, but you're building a case. And once you get beyond a reasonable doubt to submit to the grand jury, that's what happened. Yep. So they come to, uh, they come to learn that, uh, that this guy does have a first generation Chevy avalanche. Yeah. I bet you um, it wasn't another dude in the state of New York that's six foot five, look like an ogre and has a first generation <laughs> Chevy avalanche. Um, that, that's, that was certainly a big one. Obviously, the description, not just the ogre and the size, but also age. He was identified as mid-40s with dark, bushy hair and, and big oval-style uh, 1970s-type glasses, all of which also fit him. I bet those um, Texas are fucking high-fiving each other <laughs> on that task force. Uh, so, I mean— Then we got to get his DNA. He's actually 6'6", 275, and would have been 46 years old 
at the time. Six, six, two, seven. He's a big, big, dude. He's a big right. dude. Um, cell phone bills linked to Huerman revealed that he had used a burner phone to meet up with three of the four victims. There you go. So, so now you got to get what, what DNA well, you, you can collect from those deceased bodies and everything else. Then you got to get his DNA. You got to work the case. That's why it took 18 let, months. Let me say this, though, with the with – the, you know, and I look at this from a defense attorney standpoint, and the burner phone's easily explainable. Right, he's right, he's right. meeting with an escort. He's right. married. He's got two kids, right. and he don't want his wife to get you. Right. That's exactly what a they would say. You don't have to be killing somebody to get a burner phone. Right. Cheating That's on your true. wife. That's true. Uh, yeah, but you happen to use a burner phone to call three. Uh, escorts, all that's of it. whom get murdered. Uh, that's I mean, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, uh, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt that in and of itself. But that's why DNA is going to come into play. Okay, so yes, we're we're piling circumstantial evidence on, but it's it's pretty weighty circumstantial Agreed. evidence. Okay, so uh, he was found to have been in the same general location as the burner phones used to contact. Uh, Bartholomew, Waterman, and Costello, the three that murders that he gets charged with. Huerman's phone records showed him in the same location around the same time he was allegedly using Bartholomew's phone to call her family. This is when he calls her sister, allegedly. And uh, uh, he also allegedly used one of his burner phones to make what I just said, make the disturbing phone call to her 16-year-old sister in which he said, do you know what your sister is doing? She's a whore. Um, one of the burner phones was found on Hewerman at the time of his arrest. Hello. Uh, records obtained from Tinder revealed the same burner phone that was used to make the, yeah. Now it still doesn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Records obtained from Tinder revealed a burner phone was linked to a fictitious Tinder account under the name of Andrew Roberts using an email that Hewerman had also accessed from his personal cell phone. Hewerman allegedly used Google Pay to fund the dating app via an American Express credit card. Okay. The probe also uncovered selfies Hewerman took and sent from a fake AOL account under the name Springfield Man 9, as well as another fictitious email, Hunter1903A3. Both were linked to his alleged burner phones. He also reached, researched his own slayings, conducting more than 200 searches between March of 22 and June of 23, including why, quote, why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer? Um, inside the many, Long Island, how many people did that? Inside the Long Island serial killer and Gilgo B. Wait, there's been, tons if, of searches on yeah, that topic, but, but to the but specific if he, of if he'd not been, trace if the he'd calls. If he'd been banging them, he might have been in love with them, and he, he, he you know. You can't it's find no him. Doubt. On the I, I think I'm he's saying guilty. defense attorney now. The defense attorney is going to say, "Hey, he was concerned about his frequent flyers." And and, and ever, all the evidence so far would also fit someone that was trying to hide the fact that they were with escorts from their wife. Yeah. So everything you know, having fake emails, all that. Yeah, I mean that that. If I'm a defense attorney, I'm saying oh, yeah. he's cheating on his wife. He didn't right. want her to catch him. He had a fake right. email. Yeah, mm. he used he used the videos. pseudonym email name Thomas Hawk, um, and he used that on an account to Dude, search. That's a good to search for Thomas podcasts Thomas and documentaries Hawk. related to the probe. They call me Hawk, and looked at hundreds of pictures of his alleged T-Hawk. victims and their families. Looked at hundreds of pictures of ah. all the alleged victims and his family. An IP that's address. Called a spank bank. 
an IP address used to book flights for Huberman and his wife on JetBlue, also accessed GilgoNews.com, the website maintained by authorities to share updates on the murder case. Again. I'm waiting on you to tell me he had an email address called I am the serial killer you <laughs> were looking allegedly for. allegedly <laughs> killed the three victims, uh, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Costello, when his wife, Asa Ellerup, was traveling and not, uh, not at home or not in the country, right? Makes sense. Ellerup's DNA, his wife's DNA, was found on three of the victims' bodies. Mm. DNA testing on a water bottle from outside a human's home was determined to be a match to a sample of the woman's hair found on tape used to tie up Costello and Waterman, as well as the belt used to bind uh, Maureen Brainerd Barnes' feet. This is, he's fucked. Ellerup yeah. has not it's been not criminally charged at this point. Yeah, they're going to flip her ass. Investigators they, they were probably doing nasty sexual things together. You think she was involved? But fuck, okay. why is her DNA on the victim? Well, big, he could he could have been DNA transferred from her. Yeah, I mean, to could have, whatever could have, he's yeah, using. But it, a frog's ass could be glass and break every time he jumps. That, that it, <laughs> it, it could have, but the coincidence in a homicide doesn't happen. Okay, yeah, uh, but it, you're right. It could be transferred DNA, but that's that's a really hard thing. Okay, so. Investigators were able to link Hewerman to the death of Waterman after recovering DNA from leftover pizza crust he tossed into a trash can on Fifth Avenue on January 26th. Six, six, dude, got to eat. They matched <laughs> 275 pounds. Yes, you got hey, it. And matched hey, it to hair. call it a pie anyway, Mike. That's right. Get it pizza pie. What would I call it? You said pizza crust. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't leave a pie. He, he left the crust. Pizza pie crust. Apparently, he wasn't hungry enough for the crust, so he tossed yeah, that into a trash right, bin yeah. on Fifth Avenue on January 26th of 2023, and they were able to match it to hairs found in the burlap used to wrap Waterman's Ooh, body. That's a good one. So, yeah, the defense attorney have a problem explaining that. Yeah. So yeah. at at this point. We've got really strong circumstantial evidence, yeah. and now we have some direct physical evidence uh, linking him to three of the four. So what about Shannon Gilbert? Where does this go with her? Where does this go with the others? And hey, even if he didn't kill her, I'm glad. Well, I, mean, I can't say I'm glad what happened to her happened to her because it kicked off. And they've never found this asshole had it not been for Shannon Gilbert. That's exactly my final point here is that, you know, the, so much focus has been on the Shannon Gilbert story over the years. And it does not look like look, there is a connection just, with Hewerman to Gilbert just like, except that. Just like Derek Todley and Sean Vincent Gillis or whatever, even Darling, Darley Routier, um, they only tried her for the death of one of her two kids. Why? Because you only need one, yeah. right? And if, if you screw that up, then you can come back on another one. So I don't think they'll ever um, go very, very hard after Gilbert other than establish the fact that's that's she was the reason why we were there. Well, And, and I think she was at his house. I mean, they're going to make it look circumstantial, but he'll never get prosecuted for her. Well, I don't, I don't think he... I don't think there's any evidence that he had anything to do with anything I, I, with her. I understand. So, but, I just agree with you. I, I, I don't think she'll get prosecuted for it. But it had not been for her, we wouldn't be talking about this. 
Correct. That, that was my big finish, Woody. Oops, sorry, I stole it for you. Well, well had it, it not been five minutes, had it not been for her, <laughs> the country is very interested in this story. Had it not been for her, and had it not been for uh, for John Malia and Blue searching, um, really an area that was pretty far away from where uh, uh, where Gilbert was. So, but but look, if if this is what it is, they're still not related to Gilbert. But to the other bodies, yeah. they're still well, maybe dead by now, but there hey, is likely if, another killer here. Well, that's always possible. But the even if his semen comes back on her, his DNA comes back on Gilbert, he's going to say, oh, well, she was at my house. I already told you all that. You knew that. Da, 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 da. There you go. And yeah. that's what I was thinking. The problem in this case, is, you know, more than anything, is the lifestyle they lived. Yeah, and high-risk high lifestyle and it just creates an issue because it, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for a prostitute to sleep with more than one guy in one day yeah and, and uh, a lot they do as many as they can that's it might it. be 15 in a day yeah so um Interesting, and we're yeah. going to follow it. Although I do think that the guy is guilty. I mean, looking well, at you know, you didn't mention Mike though when they when they were interrogating him. Uh, he's crying the whole time and swearing up and down. He does not admit to doing any of this. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's innocent until proven guilty, and then you we certainly haven't heard the last of this uh, mm -hmm. story because I promise you. Agu's gonna bring it to you. Well, and the Gilbert the Gilbert story, you should still go back and watch some of these. That Lost Girls is the series that Netflix did because it also tells the story of her family and her mother, which is, is so tragic. I mean, her mother, uh, who was not a good mother, uh, uh, really tries to kind of turn her life around in the search for Shannon, and actually ends up getting murdered by her other daughter. Very it's interesting, crazy. All right, a Baton Rouge police officer has arrested a man for armed robbery that he had conspired to commit along with two others. A Javian Carter 23 was arrested by BRPD Thursday for a robbery that happened on May 26. He was booked for armed robbery, carrying a firearm on school property and being a convicted felon in possession. Baton Rouge uh, police department responded to the initial armed robbery report on May 26 at Belfair park off of fairfields avenue not the best part of baton rouge the victim said two men approached the vehicle and demanded their belongings while brandishing guns one of the victim's wallets had two thousand one hundred dollars in cash while the other had 60 bucks one of the victims was later identified as anthony schaefer the third according to arrest documents police said schaefer was not cooperative in the investigation not returning detectives phone calls nor providing a statement, while the other victim was fully cooperative. Deputies found that Schaefer had been a suspect in a previous armed robbery, and based on this and his behavior during the May case, investigators began to look into previous phone records. It was found that Schaefer had been texting with Carter and a third suspect, Matthew Hunt. Surveillance footage from May showed Carter and Hunt talking with someone on the phone just minutes before the robbery happened. Phone records showed that Schaefer had an hour-long conversation with Hunt that coincided with that time frame. The BRPD believes Schaefer conspired with Carter and Hunt to perform the armed robbery on his co-worker, the other victim. 
Carter was arrested on Thursday. So you had a guy here who basically conspired with the two guys who committed the robbery and said, look, we want to rob this coworker, but I want you to rob me right, too. Right. And that way I can give the police a BS story. Right, right. Uh, well, it all got tied down to him. Why would he? Because of phone records, phone records. and the hey, and video. Well, like you say, y'all, we on video somewhere every day. All right, y'all back to Austin. My, one of my favorite places spent so many, many months live there going to polygraph school and everything. As I've told y'all before, um, we were talking about the potential serial killer and y'all, Ladybird Lake. We've talked about this many times in the past. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail other than say that um, the Austin PD identified the fifth man found dead in Ladybird Lake last week as Maga the Galley. APD added that his death is not being investigated as a homicide. Um, the official cause of death will be determined by the medical examiner's office. And anyway, so they arrived and around 10.28 a.m., 10.28 a.m. in the waterway, and they found uh, an obviously deceased male in the city of Austin has you know, since all this shit started, they've made steps to increase the safety along the lake uh, and, and hike and bike trail. Uh, they say it's unclear if foul play is involved. They're full of shit. They know foul play is involved. And, of course, the rumors continue that a serial killer is loose in Austin after eight bodies were pulled from Lady Bird Lake in just 10 months besides the latest body. And y'all just goes on and on about that APD is under heavy scrutiny, et cetera, et cetera. Guess what? I'm t- I said it once. I'll say it again. APD is one of the finest police departments in the United States of America. They are certainly the highest paid per capita. And I have friends on that force. And I, one of them just reached out to me the other day. I'm not going to tell you what he said. But I'm telling y'all, it's a serial killer. Austin is a big tourist town, mm-hmm. right? Sixth Street and, and all that is right there. Uh, uh, Lots of convention uh, business. Uh, everything is right there downtown, right there where, where all this, this all happening. They, you know, until they're going to come out like in Long Island and they're getting their ducks in a row 18 months, however many long, however long it takes. And they don't want to say, oh, well, we're looking for a seal curl looks like this because the guy could split, right? So stay tuned, and we'll continue to bring updates on that story. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the no if there was five way. bodies found, like you said, right. in, in, in LSU, LSU Lakes, Lakes in, since the beginning of the year, yeah, yeah, there would be total panic and right. anarchy. These right. are all men. Right. They're all around right. the same age. They all come from the same – all picked up at the same location. Yeah, come on. All were seeing their party and the thing. I get it. Serial killer. I said it in the beginning. I'm going to continue to say it. And if I have to come out of retirement and come down there and help you boys, I will. <laughs> that's, you a, that's a spirit, Woody. Right. That may need to happen. Hey, you know what? When they do it, I'm going to go down there anyway. I'm going to do a full-length series on it. Well, we need- I, Hey, my brothers in APD, you remember, I gave you all props. When other people are hating on you, I already know what you're doing. 
Well, we may need you to go to Europe, specifically to Italy, and knock some sense into a judge there when I tell you our next oh, story. you're going to talk in, in Italiano from Rosetta there, Stone? There might be a go little. Rosetta's, there might be a drop somewhere. Rosetta Stone slash daily for 40% off on all their languages. There might be a planned or unplanned drop in here. But Rosetta Stone. Let's go to the ancient city of Rome, Italy, where as your international and European uh, lead correspondent, it is my responsibility to bring you stories like this. An Italian judge is ruling that sexual harassment does not occur until 10 seconds have passed, has caused outrage and prompted a trend on Italian social media. Last week, this judge ruled made this ruling and thousands of Italians turned to their social platforms of choice and began posting 10 second videos of them groping themselves. The videos proved a very effective way of demonstrating just how long 10 seconds can be. The judge ruled that 66 year old janitor Antonio Avala did not sexually harass a 17 year old student at a Rome high school because the April incident happened quote too quickly. The student said she was walking up a staircase when the janitor pulled her trousers down and grabbed her underwear and her ass. The prosecutor was seeking a three and a half year prison sentence for the crime. The accused janitor admitted to groping the student without her consent, but insisted it was just a joke. The judge acquitted the man and claimed the incident, quote, did not constitute a crime, shocking many of the country's youth and drawing outrage. The victim herself asked if the judge was, quote, joking with his decision, insisting the janitor, quote, took her from behind without saying anything. Quote, this, at least for me, is no joke, she said, stressing that the ruling may in fact discourage women from reporting violence. I'm starting to think I was wrong to trust the institutions. This is not justice. Italians took to social media expressing their anger over the Papalga Breve, or brief groping, ruling. The posters remain silent and stare at the camera for the whole time and mostly grope their own chest. Activist Francisco Ciccinetti posted on his own video writing, women's bodies are not owned by men, they're owned by women and only the women themselves. Thanks to our friends at Rosetta Stone, I can tell you, il giudice ha fatto un casino, which translates to the judge fucked up. <laughs> hey, do they have curse it's a words? casino in there? Yeah, I thought so too. But they I be- have. I believe that's the. Do they have curse words? Is that the same? They have the. Don't tell me you hadn't looked it up. Soft version of the the things I heard in my house growing up. I don't uh, necessarily gotcha. uh, get in Rosetta Stone. You can now take off that belt and move freely around the cabin. It is Mile High Wednesday, and an Oregon woman has been sentenced for flight groping. How about that? A woman? What? Yes. Heidi McKinney, 27, smuggled alcohol on board of the Alaska Airlines flight and gently touched a woman sitting next to her on the breast and genitals and has pled guilty to assault with uh, intent to commit a felony. 
She was sentenced to eight months of home detention plus three years of probation. She was arrested at Portland International Airport. She was accused of making contact with another passenger's body, including her inner thigh, and made a series of profane and lewd statements to her. I figured she had to back it up with something. Yeah, she's probably sitting in that airport bar, right? right? The assistant U.S. attorney said McKinney had acted with intent to humiliate and harass the victim. The defendant took her seat on the flight and before departure placed her hands on the female's chest, allowing her hand to linger there uncomfortably. She also put her arm around the woman and took photos of her. Selfies, basically. After the takeoff, McKinney badgered the victim to drink alcohol she had smuggled on board the flight. McKinney also licked the victim's ear, attempted to kiss her, and tried to place her hands on the victim's crotch on three separate it's a long occasions. flight from where they're going in Alaska to Portland. That's right. So you're looking. You're looking. Um, we have a picture we'll post of Miss McKinney, and she doesn't look like the this you know your typical groper. Did yeah. the groping? Yes. Yeah we we haven't we haven't had an ear fetish story, have we? Well, no, we just have, we have one here. Yeah. With Miss McKinney, I'm not doing lookism. Woody appears to be in deep study. Yes, you are. No, she's actually very pretty. I'm thinking this lady has to be married, a POS, educated, uh, uh, the whole nine yards. But she just must have been horny. Yeah, she doesn't look like your typical uh, groper for sure. Clinical analysis. Um, Yeah, that's my. And that just goes to show you she was horny. You never know who might start licking your ear on a flight. Everybody on the face of this planet that you look at every day got here because two people were licking their ears. Oh, no. Might have have started with licking ears, but everybody gets horny every now and then. All right, let's wrap with some banjos because I got a good banjo. It's quick. (laughs) Well, I got to finish. Can I do my rap on my maha? Thank you. You can now take off that belt and move freely around the cabin. Okay, listen to this shit. This is great. Rivera 13 gang member Anthony Garcia, age 25, smirked as the victim's relatives gave emotional testimony about how the shooting of 23-year-old John Juarez affected their family, prompting a strong admonition from Norwalk Superior Court Judge Thomas McNew Jr. Quote, it would appear from your attitude of non-remorse and your smirks, your sociopathic tendencies, you are a serious, serious danger to society, McNew told Garcia. I don't know what thought you've given to your future, but you have no real future. This was an unusual case. The victim, John Juarez, was standing near payphones outside Mr. Ed's liquor store, 6616 Rosemead Boulevard, when two men walked up, asked where he was from, and then shot him several times. The case went unsolved for months with few clues. Anthony Garcia was being booked for a separate offense when Homicide Sergeant Kevin Lloyd noticed a unique tattoo printed on his chest. Garcia's tattoo showed a helicopter shooting a... Mr. Peanut in front of a Mr. Ed's liquor store. Investigators said Garcia's gang moniker is Chopper and Juarez's gang, Pico Nuevo, is insultingly referred to as Peanuts by Rivera 13 members. Garcia had had a tattoo of the murder imprinted on his chest. Nice. 
yeah, he ended up getting convicted. That's it. No sentence. Oh, he's t- uh, it's I don't forever, <laughs> forever death. It's murder. Sentence. Usually they put a teardrop on their eye, something like that. But yeah, he's definitely a dumb criminal. Mike, that was a good one. All right, that is uh, your real life real crime daily for Wednesday. Any final thoughts? Mm, just blessed for all y'all that are listening. We love you and appreciate you, and thank you. And I love you two dudes, too. My and we boy. love you. Talk so to you. much love in here. Talk to you tomorrow, folks. I love you. You're not getting you, my man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavina. For Real Life, Real Crime Daily. Peace. Sure business. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.